Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. You may be seated. Last week, we kicked off Holy Week. We celebrated Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday was a very different vibe than Good Friday because on Palm Sunday, the crowds were excited to see Jesus. They laid down their palm branches. They laid their cloaks on the ground. They said, you could walk on me. You're the king. You are Lord. You are God. And then five days later, the shouts of Hosanna were transformed into shouts for his execution. Crucify him. Crucify him, they said. Jesus, knowing what was to come, he prepared his disciples, he prepared his followers. He would say over and over again, hey, the Son of Man is going to be delivered over to the, to the officials, and he's going, to be, he's going to be killed on a cross, but three days later, he's going to rise. Every time he said it, though, the disciples are like, what? The Messiah die? That can't be so closer and closer and closer as each day unfolded that final week of Jesus's life holy week he took one step after one step closer and closer to the cross until finally after Passover he had a great meal with his friends they remembered the exodus they remembered God's deliverance from slavery in Egypt it's it's the pinnacle of 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 everything that we see in the old testament God saves his people God redeems his people do you guys believe that tonight south valley God redeems his people they had a meal together. There was a Passover lamb. They, they remembered the lamb that was slain and the, and the blood that was, that was painted over the, the frames of their houses so that, that the wrath of God would pass over their houses. What they didn't know, though, was that that lamb was a picture of a greater lamb, the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. His name is Jesus Christ. Immediately leaving that supper, Jesus and his disciples, they went to a garden called Gethsemane, an, an olive garden, not, not the kind of olive garden we're used to, different kind of olive garden, a place that Jesus liked to retreat and clear his head and, and slow down and be with his friends. But we read that while he was in this garden, he was in agony. This is what it says in Matthew 26, 36. It says, Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and James and John, and he had become anguished and distressed. The Son of God, God's Son, anguished and distressed. Distressed over what? He knew what was about to happen. He knew the kind of night that he was about to endure. He knew the kind of day, the next day, Friday, that he was going to, going to endure. He knew the cross was ahead of him. And so we read, his soul was in anguish. Jesus, the Son of God, was distressed. He told them, my soul, it's crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He's talking to his friends. Stay up with me. Things aren't good. 
bad things are about to happen. I feel it. I sense it. Guys, you're my buddies. You're my pals. You're the ones who know me, who have done life with me. Will you please just stay up with me for a little bit while, 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 I, talk to, while I talk to my father about this? He went on a little farther and he bowed his face to the ground praying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Is there any other way to redeem broken mankind? Is there any other way? Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he turned to the disciples and you know what he found them doing? Sleeping. His buddies, his pals, his friends that he did life with, they were sleeping, and it's okay. We've all fallen asleep at friends' houses, right? It's okay. That happens. But they were there, so he wakes them, and he goes to Peter, the rock, his closest buddy, and he says, couldn't you watch with me for even an hour? Keep watch and pray so that you won't give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing. But, Peter, your body, our bodies are weak. You need the spirit to guide you, strengthen you, keep you awake. Something crazy is about to happen. Then Jesus left for a second time, and he prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping again. For they couldn't keep their eyes open. They had a big meal. They had a big celebration. They remembered the Passover. They were tired. So Jesus, he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. If there's another way, God, let me know. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then he came to the disciples and he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners up. Let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, we're gathered here tonight to remember. Sorry, that was Siri talking to me for some reason. Father God, not Siri. We're here tonight to remember the work of your son. We know that you made us. We know that you formed us in our mother's womb. We know that you know our beginning from our end. We know that you created us in perfection, that, that we were created to know you, to love you, to be loved by you. And we also know that in the midst of it all, you gave us a choice to trust you or not to trust you. Our first parents chose sin. Since then, we have chosen sin from from birth, we are sinners by nature and by choice. We rebel. We do what's wrong. We turn our backs on you. We betray you. Like Judas, we pretend at times that we're close when in reality our hearts are somewhere else. And God, you still pursue us. You still love us. You love us so much that you demonstrated your love for us by sending your one and only son to die for us. And that's what we remember tonight. Tonight is a unique kind of memorial because it's somebody dying on behalf of the world, someone dying for us, taking the punishment, the guilt, the shame, the burdens, the grief, the regret, everything that we deserve, everything that we've accumulated, Jesus came to take it all on his own shoulders and to nail it to the cross. And so, God, we just want to reflect on him this evening. We thank you for a day of fasting and praying. 
And we pray right now, just in these few moments, as we just shared briefly in your word, I just ask that you'd guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's hard to imagine that the cross, the journey to the cross, would begin in such a beautiful and peaceful place, the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I've never been to Israel. One day I'm going to go to Israel, and one day maybe us as a church will organize a trip to Israel. Because one thing that I've heard about Israel is one of the places you need to see in person is the Garden of Gethsemane. It's an olive garden just outside of the city of Jerusalem. A beautiful place with trees all around, ancient trees. In Jesus' day, he would have been surrounded by trees that are about a thousand years old. There's trees there today, right now, that are about a thousand years old. It's a peaceful place. There's olive trees. There are vineyards. It's where Jesus retreated when he needed a break. Because one thing we need to remember is that Jesus' life in ministry was pretty hectic. Jesus traveled from city to city, all over Israel, and everywhere he went, he attracted a crowd. He'd attract all kinds of people from all different walks of life, sick people, healthy people, excited people, angry people, older people, younger people, politicians, rich people, poor people, demon-possessed people, all kinds of people pressed in on Jesus. His ministry was all day, all night, every day, all the time. And when he wasn't working with the crowds, he was working with a group of disciples. It was exhausting. And so Jesus did what he would normally do when he was in the city. He would retreat for a breather. He'd step away to his favorite olive garden and hang out with his friends. Where do you guys go when your life gets hectic? Do you guys have a special place? Maybe it's a special chair. Maybe it's your back patio. Maybe it's a Harley ride. Can I get it for any Harley ride people here today? Maybe it's time out on your bicycle. Maybe it's time in the gym. For the kids in the room, we got lots of kids here in the room. Where do you go when you need a break? Maybe you like to color if you're like my daughter. Maybe you like kids' YouTube. Maybe you like video games. Maybe you like to jump on your BMX bike, your scooter. You want to clear your head. All of us reach those times throughout the day, throughout our lives, where we sense in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirit that we need a break. Jesus needed a break. So he went to his peaceful, quiet garden. But the peace of the garden was quickly interrupted with pain. The first pain Jesus endured was a sleepless night. The Bible says that he was in such agony that he literally sweat drops of blood. This is a rare medical condition. It actually does happen to people in very, very rare occasions when they're feeling stress and anxiety and pressure and anguish where your body will literally go through this this process where you're sweating drops of blood and it started there with Jesus he says this in Matthew 26 38 he says my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death says to his friends stay here keep watch with me so he reflected on what was happening right there in that moment and what was about to happen he said I'm so hurting inside I feel like I'm almost feel like I'm dying some of you have felt that kind of pain Some of you have felt that kind of anguish. On 
the outside you were healthy, everything was fine on the outside, but on the inside you felt like the world was crashing down. You felt pain. And I just want to pause here for a second and say that when you are feeling sad, when you are feeling overwhelmed, I want to say this also to the kids in the room tonight. When you're feeling sad, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you feel on the inside things are not right, I want to encourage you to share your pain with a friend. Share it with a family member. Don't keep it in. Because even Jesus, the Son of God, shared his pain with his friends. There in the garden, the first thing he did before going to the cross, he said, guys, I need some help. I'm not doing well. I'm suffering in here. You may not see it. You may not feel what I'm feeling because you don't know what's coming. But he shared his grief. He shared his pain with his friends. Share your pain with your friends. Good Friday is a reminder that life can be painful. We don't like to talk about the pain of life. But I know, as I've gotten to know many of you in this church, I know that you have faced lots of different seasons of pain, especially over the past two years. Pain when it comes to concerns about the future, concerns about your children, concerns about their school, concerns about sickness, concerns about loss, grief, the economy. When you are feeling pain, When you are feeling anguish, be like Jesus. Tell a friend. Tell a family member. But remember that when we tell people, people are not perfect. We don't have any perfect friends out there. We don't have any perfect family members out there. We know with Jesus, although he told his friends, we read that his friends rapidly fell asleep. Now, I don't blame his friends for falling asleep. They had a big meal, they were tired, they were, they were ready to take a nap. It's okay. But what made them friends was the fact that they were there. You see, sometimes we don't know as friends what we're going to say to each other in times of need. Jesus' friends may not have known what to say or what to do. They fell asleep, but the good news is they were there. It's called the ministry of presence. I have a friend who when I hang out with him, he often falls asleep. His name is Dan Ross Mango. Dan Ross Mango, good friend of mine, we hang out. Sometimes when I preach, he falls asleep. Please don't ever do that to me. Please don't ever do that to me. I get really, I get really worried when people fall asleep. He falls asleep sometimes even when I preach. But you know why Dan Ross Mango is one of my good friends? Because he's always there. That's what friends do. We don't always have to know what to say. Sometimes it's just being there, the ministry of presence. Well, moments later... Jesus was handed over to a mob, a mob of Roman and Jewish officials. And we read that from there, he endured a series of false and illegal trials held in the middle of the night. A a mob of soldiers come with their clubs and their swords they grab Jesus out of his quiet place, out of that garden. They, they haul him off to a series of false and illegal trials held in the middle of the night where no one can see, no one can defend Jesus, and everyone's scattered. And although no one could find any fault in Jesus, they lied about him. They lied about his message. They lied about his purpose. They, they told the the people that he was a blasphemer and so they decided to punish him by having him flogged 
I'm not going to go into all the details of this because I know there are kids in the room. I don't, I don't want to get too crazy here. But flogging, just in case you're wondering, is a beating on your back. Jesus had a beating on his back. Forty lashes minus one with a special kind of whip called a cat of nine tails, a whip that does damage I don't even want to talk about. Finally, after they beat him, instead of letting him go, they decided to bring him to Pontius Pilate. You see, the Jews had no authority to kill a man. The Jews had no authority to execute a person. They needed Roman approval. And so they bring Jesus to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate finds nothing wrong with Jesus. He sees him beaten. He sees him bloodied. He says, why don't you just let him go? There's nothing wrong. He's done nothing deserving of death. Pontius Pilate starts by saying that Jesus is innocent. But under the pressure and under the the cries of the crowds, they start yelling out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So Pontius Pilate gives them an option. Here, who do you want to release to yourselves today? Do you want Barabbas, the criminal, or do you want Jesus? The crowds chose Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus was hauled off. The soldiers mocked him. They dressed him as a king. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They paraded him around like a clown. They struck him. They spat on him. They hit his head with a wooden stick. And finally, they sent him away to be executed. We read that Jesus carried his own crossbar weighing about probably 100 pounds to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, where he was crucified between two criminals, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the innocent one, hanging between two criminals. Spikes were driven through his hands and feet, the most sensitive nerve endings in the entire body, and he was raised up there for all to see. And at 3 p.m., we read that he breathed his last, and he cried out just before then, It is finished. He bowed his head, his spirit left him, and a spear was driven through his side. Jesus was taken from the cross, and he was buried in a tomb. Why in the world would all of us gather here tonight to remember something so brutal? The reason why is because we know why Jesus had to die. 700 years before Jesus even entered into human existence in the flesh, incarnate, we read this prophecy, Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. It says, Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. The entire Old Testament pointed forward to a time when the Son of God would come and die, for the, die on a cross for sinners like you and me. 
All of the Old Testament, all of the religious system, all of the sacrificial system, it pointed forward the Passover, everything of meaning in the Old Testament pointed forward to this one monumental moment where the Messiah, the chosen one of God, would go and, and, and lay down his life to make a way back to the Father. So why did Jesus have to die? Well, I thought I'd show especially the children in the room just a simple illustration of this. Here I have Jesus. What we know about Jesus is Jesus is different from us because Jesus is perfect, spotless. Any of you kids in here, you guys ever been perfect before? Ask your parents if you don't know. I know that there's a lot of innocent children in here. I know that there's a lot of quote-unquote good people in here. But none of us are like Jesus. Jesus has set the bar. When we compare ourselves to Jesus, we're nowhere close. He is perfect in every way. Perfectly loving God, perfectly loving people fulfilling every command of scripture. He is spotless. He is a lamb without blemish. Jesus is holy and righteous and good. He is perfect. We also have this thing, though, called sin. Sin is that bad stuff in our lives. The things that we do that we know we're not supposed to. The things that we do that hurt others. The things that we do that hurt God. Sin is the things that we think, the things that we say, the things that we act upon that are not right. And when we sin, when we're young especially, when we sin, we tend to know that's not right. That feels wrong. But over time, because sin begins to take hold of our lives and hold of our hearts, we begin to maybe downplay sin. It's really not that bad. Everybody does it. The problem, though, is this is you. You see, when God made you, and children, I want you to know this, too. When God made you, he made you to be perfect. You are God's creation. This world is incomplete without you. God made you. God loves you. God sees you. God cares about you from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. He wants to protect you and be everything that you need in this life. But the problem is this. When we sin and as we've inherited sin from from those before us, every time we sin, this sin comes into our hearts and into our lives. And look at what it does to us. It darkens us. We call it total depravity in theology. It means that our entire being is tainted by sin. Our mind, our heart, our will, everything is tainted by sin. And sin, it, it rules over us and it, and it keeps us from God. God is holy and righteous and just and perfect in every way. And our sin keeps us from him. And it doesn't matter what you do or how hard you try or how good you are or how perfectly you obey, you cannot get this sin out of you on your own. It's there. 
It's in every crevice of who you are. God sees it, and God hates sin because he knows that sin hurts you. It hurts your family. It hurts the people around you. He knows the devastating effects of sin. So he sent his son. Jesus went to the cross to carry the sins, not just of you and me, but the sins of the entire world. And what we read is that on the cross, Jesus came to nail our debts, nail everything that we've done wrong to that cross and bring it to the grave so that it would never see the light of day again. Do you guys believe that? And so on the cross, Jesus sees our sin. He welcomes it. The real us, our real mistakes, our real problems. And in that moment, Jesus drank the wrath of that cup that he talked about in the garden. The wrath was poured out on Jesus and was poured out on Jesus and was poured out on Jesus and was poured out on Jesus. The entire sins of the world was poured out on Jesus, but nothing could stain the Son of God because the Son of God came to save sinners from their sins. He came to resurrect us to new life. He took on his shoulders the weight of the world and he paid for our debts in full. It is finished, Jesus says, it is finished. But here's the last piece. We know that God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You guys memorized that passage. Here's the thing. Salvation is a gift, but it's a gift received through faith. Kids, if you want to be saved here tonight, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to believe. Adults, if you want to be washed white as snow, if you want your record of debt to be cleansed, to be done away with, you just have to believe. What we read in Scripture is that when we receive Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior and we believe in Him and we accept Him into our hearts, Jesus comes into our lives. And when the Son of God comes into our lives, the sin that has darkened us is paid for. You're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. There is no more sin in your life if you believe tonight in Jesus Christ. And one thing we're going to do right now to declare our belief is partake in communion. We remember his broken body through the bread. We remember his shed blood on the cross. And so I'm going to take, give you a moment right now to confess your sins. That means to tell God where you've gone wrong. To bring your grief, your sorrow, your regret your pain, the things that people know about, the things that no one knows about, to confess it. And then I'm going to lead us in a moment. And if you want to partake in communion, kids, ask your parents if you want to do this. Communion is for anyone who believes, anyone who trusts in Jesus, will remember his body and his shed blood, and we'll do that in just a moment. So during this song, confess your sin, and then I'll lead us to close us out in communion.
There's a table just for you and me. Break the bread and pour the wine. Perfect union, nothing in between. I am yours and you are mine. You're still my first love. You're still my only one. You're still my first love. You're still my only one. You're still my first love. You're still my only one. You're still my first love. You're still my only one. Take just one more moment. Be honest, be real. Jesus came for you, Jesus came for me. Whatever that sin is, whatever that regret is, whatever that fear is, whatever that burden is, you can actually lay it down at his feet and you can actually walk away cleansed and renewed. Take one more moment and then I'll lead us together. Matthew 26, 26 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body. Let's remember Jesus' body, broken for us. And he took a cup. He said, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of of sins. Let's remember Jesus' blood shed for our sins as a church family. Let's remember Jesus. Jesus, we're here tonight because we believe that it is finished. We know, God, that the tomb is empty. We know, Jesus, that you are not on a cross. And so as we close out this evening, we are right, we're prepared to celebrate. We're prepared to celebrate what you have done. We're prepared to celebrate the fact that you have won. I pray that this Easter Sunday would be a pure celebration, a time of joy when we reflect on the power of our risen Savior. I pray that we would remember that the Lamb is now a lion, ruling and reigning, seated on the throne, all authority, all dominion, all power, everything belongs to you, Lord. And I just pray that we would not be afraid to surrender all to you. Bless our children, bless our families, bless this community. We love and praise you. And all God's people said, will you stand and close out this song with us?
Hey, thanks for worshiping with us. We're super excited about Sunday. Invite your friends. It's going to be an amazing Easter service. Can't wait to see you guys there. I know many of you fasted with us today. Go enjoy some food. We got some tacos for you. Got some superior dairy. Hang out. We want to see you guys. God bless you guys. Thanks for worshiping with us this evening.